Hey guys, Brian Fully was my guest this week. Brian is an actor, director, and educator here in the Phoenix area who has an extensive background in circus arts, particularly clowning, and we spend a lot of our time talking about that today. Uh, he's actually the husband of one of my previous guests, Brenda Foley, who was the co-founder of the Bridge Initiative. Um, Brian and I did a stage reading, I think, about two years ago. That's kind of how we met, but he's very active in the, the area. Currently, he is planning the fourth iteration of his monthly variety show, Valley Variety, which you can see at the Aside Theater Company, and incorporates talents from artists of all kinds all over the area, kind of classic vaudeville show. I won't talk more about it now because we speak about it at length during the interview, which we had in a nice little Chinese restaurant where we shared a pot of tea. So for now, brew a pot of your own and enjoy Brian Foley. Starving Artist Phoenix, and I'm Tony Machete. I've got Brian Foley with me today. How are you doing, Brian? I'm supersonic, flashy, funky, fresh, Tony. Thanks for having me. If I had a nickel. Well, uh, I'm glad we finally got a chance to uh, to sit down together. I know I've been kind of pursuing you for a while because you have such a, uh, well, unique, I guess, for for my from my background, I guess, that the type of stuff that you've explored, the type of stuff that you've studied. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your background. And so what got you interested in clowning originally? Wow. Um, well, th- there are two answers to that question. The first answer is uh, my mother, I think, had a crush on Gunther Gable Williams, who was the <laughs> European animal trainer for Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Circus for many years. Uh, Ringling Brothers, they had two two circuses that would tour. There was the red unit and the blue unit. So we saw the cir- circus down in Miami, uh, which is uh, near where I lived when I was a kid. And uh, we would only go every other year. And oddly enough, it was to see the red show, <laughs> which, uh, which had Lou, Lou Jacobs, the uh, only clown to appear in an American postage stamp, and Gunther Gable Williams, who always worked, you know, shirtless and a vest and, you know, his his, his glistening abs and his, his at that point, dyed blonde hair because the he prototypical lion tamer really what it, the image we get <laughs> really yes that was gunther and uh, so and and i just fell in love with the circus so that's i guess the short answer the mm. the the probably the more appropriate answer is i, I was a magician as a mm-hmm. kid there was something that my brain was really attracted to in terms of how things were done uh, you know as a child uh, involved in magic this tends to be the case is you're attracted to the the how as opposed to the why um and in, in theater certainly we ask a lot about why but uh, as a child I, I you know certainly wasn't there yet so I uh, I started w- when I became old enough to do shows for younger children than I. Um, I I did some magic shows, but uh, people said, "Hey, can you perform as a clown?" I said, "Sure." <laughs> so it was a way to make money. Uh, and then when I went to NYU for my undergrad, I had a wonderful clown teacher, uh, my fourth year, named Stephen Ringgold, and he really did a good job of teaching me clown as a verb as opposed to clown as a noun mm. and uh, I said I really want to do more of this and my first job out of undergrad uh, my first 
performing job was at the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair. And I took that because I was going to get to do Shakespeare and I was going to get to learn how to sword fight and uh, jump off <laughs> buildings because, uh, you know, I didn't have stage combat at school. I could have. I just didn't mm-hmm. take it. So I got, you know, recognized as an actor combatant and and I got set on fire and jumped off buildings <laughs> and, and uh, did improv on the street. But then I also got to integrate some of my clown work as well. And as I was uh, developing shows uh, there... To I think we're just going to do the tea for right now. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. We're getting food. <laughs> At the Renaissance Fair, as I was developing shows, I noticed that there were people who took a liking to me, people who were touring around the circuit, mm-hmm. and they said to me, hey, Brian, why don't you explore this clown thing, you know, really develop your own show and, and tour it? And I said, no, that's not what I do. I'm an actor. And somebody sat me down and I'm not going to out him, but somebody sat me down and said, Brian, do you like auditioning? And I said, no, I I really don't. (laughs) Not too many people do. Some people do, and they're really lucky, but I don't. And he said, listen, if you have your own show, and you, you you can get work just by sending a video, or honestly on reputation at a certain point, and if you are called in, the people who sit behind the table, because you have, you're offering something of value, you're bringing that into the room that nobody else has, they will stand up, come around the table, shake your hand, and thank you for coming in. And I said, well, that being treated like a human being as opposed to cattle is always nice. And finally, they said, and you can make like four to five times as much as you can as an actor. And at that point, I was sold. Yeah. So I, I started developing uh, my own work, and I was living in New York City, along with you know developing shows and, and touring them. There was also a great gig market, so I could walk on stilts or do living statue or go juggle at a shopping mall or whatever, or bar mitzvah. I did a lot of magic at bar mitzvahs. I did a ton of that. And if I worked, you know, two, three-hour gigs on the weekend, I made more money than I could make as an office temp. And that's good money. That's real money. I was living very well in New York City. You know, a nice middle-class artist's lifestyle. I wasn't, you know, wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but, um, but I, you know, I found the, the way, it took me a couple of years, but I found a way to make my artistic passions mm-hmm. pay off in that market. Mm-hmm. And I think that is may end up being the focus of our conversation today as we talk about the shift from New York City to the Phoenix market is that, you know, people talk about New York City being, you know, the the premier market for arts and it's certainly the largest market for arts in the United States, but uh, and this is one thing that I really got out of grad school from Bill Partland, who said to me you know, the New York market is just like any regional market, it has what they value and what they value, their rises to the top in terms of commercial success, um um, it, that is not to say that it's necessarily the best, but people say it is, mm-hmm. but it's just different. And I've only been here, certainly out of grad school now, uh, four years, and that's not really enough time, because I'm a relatively old dog, <laughs> um, to learn all the new tricks that it would take for me to necessarily be the artist that this market really values. I'm an artist maybe that might have more value in a different market. So would you say that with the uh, projects that you're attempting now and uh, kind of the path that you're seem to be taking, uh, it's it's maybe easier to try and change the market than to change yourself? Hmm. <laughs> All I can do is bring 
what I am as an artist and communicate it directly in dialogue with my audience here. So that's one of the things I love about being a clown is that as a clown, there is no fourth wall. Um, so we are in constant dialogue with our audiences. And in these uh, Valley Variety shows and in the clown work that I teach and that I uh, get lucky enough to perform on occasion here, I, I'm bringing me and I respond to what the response is from my audience. So it's a back and forth. So uh, my shows are different when I go different places. So when they're here, I don't want to say that, that my shows are tailored to here, that I'm changing myself, but it's the same way that we're having a dialogue. Mm. My audience and I have a dialogue, and all I can do is learn from the dialogue the longer I'm here and start to bring things to the table in my performances that I hope and can only anticipate that they'll respond to more strongly before the dialogue. So I don't need to... Uh, change as much in performance maybe if that makes any sense yeah uh, a little bit of a tangent but kind of talking about the the appeal overall of, of kind of what you do uh i feel like more and more in the modern era um those type of skills the circus type skills um are looked down upon in a certain way obviously by the um by the mainstream i'm sure that that's something that you've seen uh before uh, to a certain extent and i i was always kind of curious about that it seems like the uh, idea of um, kind of general proscenium acting um, versus uh, kind of circus type skills has the same relationship of like academia versus learning a trade where you uh, you kind of somehow there's this kind of lofty uh, abstract aesthetic to to being up on stage and just doing a, a play rather than learning a specific skill like juggling or still walking and I'm just kind of curious about what your maybe your your stock response is to, to that type of uh, attitude <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, this idea of the acad uh, academic ivory tower versus, uh, you know, a blue-collar trade job, I think you, you're really hitting on something <laughs> there. Uh, I think that's a real solid metaphor. Oh, gosh. Uh, I, I think it's it's history, right? So the more you know your circus history, the more you know that there were circus bosses, circus mm -hmm. producers, who used to hire performers by waiting outside of prisons and waiting for people to get released and saying, do you need a job? Do you need a job? Do you need a job? Uh, sometimes those people would go on to be roustabouts and, and mm -hmm. riggers, and, uh, but just as often they would end up being clowns. And, and this idea of the scary clown, I think, partially is rooted uh, in who they got mm -hmm. to perform. Uh, I think it had to do with the makeup, mm -hmm. certainly. But, I mean, you're talking about the late Victorian period, mm -hmm. and everything in the Victorian period was scary. It's not just clowns, right? So Victorian medical equipment, uh, Victorian dolls, uh, Victorian collage. That freaks me out. So, uh, you know, everything in the Victorian period, Victorian corsets. Uh, you know, everything was freaky. So, you know, don't look at old pictures of clowns and say, oh, my gosh, the clowns are so freaky. You know, look at a picture of a, uh, a Victorian Halloween costume and say, oh, my gosh, by comparison, <laughs> the clowns are easy. The clowns are tame. Uh, so you've got that. And and then, of course, the circus continued to evolve. Uh, and right now, there is no, to some degree, it still ex exists. But but the fact that, you know, the circus in, in the United States was 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 a closed circle it was uh, gypsy like in the way that it was only passed down generation to generation and people really tried to keep those skills from getting out so that you know their families were uh, guaranteed a livelihood 
Um, but right now, there are circus schools everywhere. There are half a dozen circus schools in the Phoenix general area that focus exclusively on aerials. Mm. Very few people who teach clown uh, or, or juggling, but, mm. but that, those aren't sexy. Yes. You know, I disagree. I think cl- you know, clown is very <laughs> sexy, and I know some sexy jugglers, but uh, but you know, people just want to fly, and and that's what they see, and that's what they're interested in. I I think it's changing a little bit. Um, you you have uh, circus arts in Pippin uh, on Broadway, uh, and then a, a different version of that toured, but still same general concept. And you have lots of uh, graduates of uh, Ecole Jacques Lecoq who uh, have returned to the, to the United States and to other places in Europe and are busy touring uh, fantastic physical theater-based shows that are integrating a lot of circus skills. Uh, certainly Cirque du Soleil, for many years, changed what people thought about circus and made it a, a hot ticket for uh, the, the urban elite market um, in many places in the world. And... The thing I, you know, when it's done well, it's just like it's just like anything. If it's done well, people enjoy it. People like to say they don't like it. Um, people like to call Washington a circus. That's fine. I know what you mean. Uh, what you're talking about is a charavari, or depending on the dictionary you, you use, a charivari, which is the uh, like an opening speck in a circus, which is where there are too many things going on for your eye to follow any one thing. Uh, so there's a specific word for that. It's a charavari, uh, depending on maybe a cherry vary, depending on <laughs> when you learn the word in the circus. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, circus is people from all over the world who work together well uh, towards a, achieving a common goal, mm. which is bringing joy to families, to a multi-generational, multi-ethnic audience where there tends to be no language barrier because you're doing primarily physical performance to music. So you can walk in and you can smell the animals. So why my friend Andrew didn't tour on Ringling because he's allergic to tigers. <laughs> But uh, when it's, you know, 90% of everything is garbage, you know, maybe more. But when circus is done really well, people love it. Um, And I've had my good days and my bad days. And when I'm really rocking, whether I'm in a red nose or or not, I'm making people laugh. And people like to laugh, you know. And uh, I I feel like I did a, a show just the other night. And I did uh, a magic trick that I haven't done in 18 years it's been 18 years so uh 10 years before the the birth of my daughter uh at least and it went fine you know i it was more in my muscle memory 18 years ago but it it went fine and you know for me i was like okay well that went okay and you know if i want to really bring that back into the repertoire i'll i'll work on it a little bit more but i had a couple people come out up to me after the show say that was amazing it, you blew my mind with that. So I've learned to just, you know, people are going to... I have no control over whether people like it or hate it. It's true whether I'm doing theater or you know, as a director or an actor or a writer. Um, people uh, will respond to me as a teacher, maybe, maybe not, because I had teachers I responded to and teachers that I didn't respond to. That didn't mean that they're not teachers of value. And it doesn't mean that I didn't learn anything from them. It just meant that they weren't the right teacher for me. Um, so, uh, so I'm going to do the art that I do. And the people who like it will come back and see it. And the people who don't like it, 
you know, there are a lot of people in this town whose work that isn't necessarily for me. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that I think they're crap artists or what they're doing is not of value because it speaks to other people just as much as it doesn't maybe speak to me. So Sure, they've got to find their audience and mm-hmm. sometimes you're not a part of it. Uh, I'm kind of curious, uh, I definitely want to go back to the show that you're, you're talking about, obviously, um, but you you mentioned kind of the circus history a few times during, during that uh, response and uh, I'm curious how important you think it is for somebody starting off into uh, any kind of circus art nowadays, how important learning that history is. Uh, do you feel like somebody could be a clown without knowing if they're an Arlecchino or a Brigella or whatever that might be? It's an embodied history. So anybody who has had any circus experience mm-hmm. is passing on an embodied history. Um, it may not be an intellectual history. Um, do I think it's important to know your history? Of course. The, the older I've gotten, you know, there's always the tyranny of the new. Um, but ultimately, I find that when you return to the classics, it gives you a, a solid foundation. And you're going to bring something to the table that people think is new. I mean, who's the girl on America's Got Talent that sings uh, as she ventriloquizes oh, with yeah, a puppet? Girl. Yeah, with a few, yeah. yeah. Um, first off, she's wonderful, um, and she she's fantastic. Is that Grace Vanderwall or something? Or maybe she's the singer. Uh, there's somebody, but you know, if you're listening, you know who I'm talking about. Um, I don't watch television. I'm pretentious, but. Um, uh, but I'm I'm aware she exists and I think she's great, and that's not new. That is not new. <laughs> I imagine it took till 2018 to think of singing through a puppet's mouth. <laughs> well, I mean Terry Fader sang through a puppet's mouth just a couple seasons ago in America's Got Talent. That's what got him his uh, his Las Vegas show. Yeah. So it's just the fact that it's a little girl. Mm-hmm. Now that's what di- that's what's different. It's not you know a big guy. Yeah. You know they're both still white. <laughs> so it doesn't change that much, <laughs> but it, but it, it happens all over. Uh, so I, one of my what was the question you asked? You asked me about knowing your your history and your tradition. Um, it's the best way to learn, and I think you you must know this as an actor is that you know there are certain lessons as an actor you can only learn by doing Shakespeare. There are certain lessons you can only learn by doing Greek tragedy. Um, there are certain lessons you can only learn by doing Afro-Haitian dance. Um, the more you explore, the more you're going to learn. So I can talk about status differentials all day and say, here's the, the high-status clown, the low-status clown, and have a different vocabularies to talk about those things. Or I can say, here's a bit that every clown worth his or her salt knows that will allow you to explore, among other things, the status differential of the high and low status clown. Go play with this until you figure out your own way. So, um, and this exists in everything I've ever done, you know, uh, whether, you know, if I'm teaching juggling, just by virtue of teaching somebody a three ball cascade, (laughs) they are now inextricably linked with a performance history that is millennia long. Um, If I'm, going to teach somebody magic, it's not going to be too long before I pull out the cups and balls, you know, where you have three cups, you've got three balls, and a wand, because you can you can learn so much about misdirection, and about a certain kind of sleight of hand, and timing, and audience management, um, and if you go through a full cups and balls routine, you get to hit every 
effect mm-hmm. that exists. You have penetrations and vanishes and appearances, transpositions, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no mind reading unless you want to put mind reading <laughs> in. You know, uh, but but this is this is how we learn. We learn by doing, and more and more, as a professional educator, you know, the research comes in and it is project-based learning. So if you really want people to learn, you need to send them out. Mm-hmm. And uh, if somebody's coming to you saying, "I want to learn," I can either say, great, go originate something, or I could say, here's something that's existed for 5,000 years, why don't you try your hand at it and see what lessons you can learn, and after you've learned those lessons, then go off and make something new. That's a nice uh, through line into uh, starting your own show now. So what, what made you know that it was the time to create a variety show? Ooh. <laughs> There's so many ways you could have asked that question, and you asked it that way. Um, well, I missed it, honestly. I missed it. Uh, uh, I'm writing an article right now that um, uh, looks at all the variety vaudeville shows all around the United States. That uh, I'm writing it for a clown magazine, so I'm particularly focusing on the ones that often include clowns. Uh, but uh, from uh, Vermont... Uh, New York, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, Los Angeles, Phoenix, Chicago, a couple places in Texas. These shows exist. And and, uh, certainly there was a a clown festival in New York City about 40 years ago or so. And that's a very rough estimate. Um, And John Towson and a couple other people put that together. It was a wonderful festival of international artists. Um, And then uh, it was... (sighs) I'm going to say around 2005, uh, some dear friends of mine, Chris and Amanda in New York City, uh, they founded the New York City Downtown Clown Review, which was a monthly space in a small, you know, New York City downtown theater that allowed for mostly clown performers, there were other kinds of performers, but mostly clowns, to experiment and rehearse in front of an audience because again if clown is inherently a dialogue between performer and audience you can't rehearse by yourself in a studio you can prepare in a studio but you can't actually do your art unless you have an audience um and uh, we have a lot of theater clowns in new york so they wanted a place to perform a place to build community meet each other uh so we have the ringling clowns we have the uh, delarte clowns we have the uh, uh clowns uh we've got the clowns without borders clowns um uh, the uh, Bond Street theater clowns. Uh, so there, there's a, this massive community, and it was a wonderful place for everybody to get to know each other, get to be influenced by each other's work. And that show stuck around for uh, about 10 years, I, I think at least 10 years. Uh, and awards were given, and uh, friendships were made, and new collaborations were born. And a lot of art was shared and a lot of feedback was given and received. And a lot of work got better because of it. And that was not the, the first, but it was, it was the first clown show in New York to really be 
influenced by original vaudeville and then the 80s and ni- early 90s new vaudeville and it was something for the 21st century and it was something for uh, artists who certainly worked in the, in the middle and late 20th centuries as well because these are our mentors and people that we loved uh, but it was for ultimately founded by and I think probably for uh, giving opportunities to my generation uh, and I'm 42 years old now so um and then other shows similar my uh, my friend tanya has a show my friend nelson has a show in new york uh keith and stephanie at the uh bindlestiff family circus have kind of taken up that monthly mantle and do an open stage variety show at dixon place uh first mondays um which i highly recommend if you're in new york city uh and and then that inspired uh, uh, Karen and Rich and Matthew to open the Clown Cabaret in Washington, D.C. And there are shows connected to the, the Clown Conservatory in San Francisco. And Scott Neary has the Booby Trap show in L.A. Um, and Dick and Tiffany moved their New York Goofs company uh, uh, to Dallas, Texas. Uh, so now they, they produce semi-regular shows down there. And it's a big town. We've got a big town. We have a town with a healthy improv scene. Mm-hmm. We've got a town with a healthy burlesque scene. And there are all these people going to aerial schools. And we only have so many gigs. You know? So so I had students from the Circus School of Arizona. I had uh, students from the community college and, and a couple from ASU who I had taught clowning and juggling to. And uh, uh, some of them, you know, they moved to New York and I connect them to my community there and others go other places. But there was no place here for them to work on a regular basis and to see each other work and for people to, you know, I can talk about what I can do, but nobody's seen me do it, not here. That's why my work has very little value here. People haven't seen it. <laughs> so here's an opportunity for, for people to come to see me work. So And I always want to create something new. So I, I created a character that I called Vaudeville Boy. I didn't originally create it for myself. I created it for somebody else. And he decided not to use it. So I just said, okay, then it's mine. And I uh, every month uh, that I'm in town for Valley Variety, uh, uh, I host and I perform as Vaudeville Boy, which is a silent clown character. Um, no, well, I mean, I wear makeup just because I'm ugly, but um, you know, nothing that you would consider clown makeup, or anybody who's listening to this would consider clown makeup, unless you're me. And it, it's, you know, silent film aesthetic, you know, kind of performer. And uh, I do these little five-minute pieces, and uh, by the end of the year, I'll have, you know, 12 shows, I'll have a full hour of material in five-minute chunks. Um, so that's one way to go about it. Um, uh, that's well, one reason to do it. But you know, I, I so every show at, Va- at Valley Variety we, we do third Tuesdays at the Aside Theater, and I know you know where that is. Um, it's Seventh uh, and Mitchell, Seventh um, Street and Mitchell. Yeah, Nathaniel Barnes and Virginia Senior, good friends of the show. Mm-hmm. And everybody's friends, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, good people there, and um, and and Hannah Stewart as well. Who's the artistic director of Aside? So we got Phoenix Art Lab, which is a, a home of the Aside Theater Company, and they're hosting and presenting mm-hmm. our show that I produce. 
uh, most months. Uh, they're, you know, this summer I'm going to be out of town for a little bit, and I have wonderful guest producers, people who mm-hmm. immediately step up to the plate and they say, we value what you're doing, and we want to uh, keep it going. We don't want it to take a break. We, we want shows in June and July. Uh, uh, so and that's been nice it's been nice to you know I'm 42 years old I'm a daddy it's good to I've I've, you know I worked with Lady Gaga and I, I worked with you know I worked for Steve Martin and I was on Sesame Street and I got my butt pinched by Rosie O'Donnell and all that you know so I, I, I had that career yeah. you know I opened for Charo. We weren't allowed to look at her backstage. You know, all these things. You know, you know, I did not have an A-list career by any stretch of the imagination. But you know, I, I've traveled the world and got paid to do it. You know, so I, I'm happy with that. And I want to give other people the opportunity. You know, um, and that feels good. It feels good and different. I am glad you you said it like that, and uh, you know you one of the people that you seem to be giving an opportunity to is your own daughter. I've seen uh, a lot that you've been uh, kind of working on a double act a little bit with her in, in a lot of ways, and uh, giving her uh, opportunities on stage. So what has that been like for you as a parent to kind of see her taking to that and, and blossoming there? Oh, I mean, she's my little monkey, you know. Um, I love my kid. It's one of those things you, when I don't have a lot of hobbies that aren't related to the things that I do. You know, the things that I like are theater and circus. So I just happen to make my hobbies my profession. Um, so <laughs> uh, when when she wants to hang out with me, you know, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to want to practice your ukulele, or do you want to work on your juggling, or do you want to climb on my shoulders? What do you want to do? Uh, and she, I, I, I kind of let her take the lead in terms of what she wants to work on with me. Uh, and then I, she's also, you know, she's a child, so she's inherently a comedic genius. <laughs> she hasn't been ruined yet. So I let her come up with a lot of new ideas. And then I just give them structure, um, which is, again, now I can do that because I know my history. Mm-hmm if we want to tie that back but she comes up with this wonderful original idea and then I'll say great and here's the structure and then we put it together um working with her is great you know she's still young she's only eight and she can't work all day she can't work with rigor sometimes she asks me for a certain kind of rigor in in response and feedback because you know, her mother is uh, a writer and an actor and a producer, and and I am a, an educator and and a performer and a, a director. And she says, I want to do what you guys are doing. So I, you know, I'm only eight, but get me as good as you can get me now. And we made a deal because I can be harsh. Anybody who's worked with me knows that I can be direct and harsh sometimes. Um, so I say, okay, tell you what, I'll make you a deal. I will, when you want, I will be your coach, and I will treat you like I am coaching you. And then at any moment, you just say to me, Daddy, I'm done with you being my coach. I want you to be my daddy again. And then I'm your daddy. And then I'll start, you know, treating you uh, like your daddy, uh, who just was, you know, who <laughs> who saw you being yelled at by that mean coach. <laughs> so, uh, so we have that uh, we have that arrangement, and she's pretty good about uh, communicating with me. So, you know, framing it like that opens up this wonderful line of communication, which means that I get to share with her everything that I know, and everything that I care about. 
uh, and work with her the way that I want to work with all my students, which is I want to get you guys as good as I possibly can uh, because I don't want to go out and see crappy work, <laughs> you know? Uh, but it, it's it's fun, and watching her have any interest in it at all, it, I know is probably fleeting, so I enjoy it while, it, while it's true. And it, it's great for her. I just got an email this morning that I, I ordered what's called a donut, <laughs> which is a donut-shaped pad that you put on your head so you can practice a head-to-head acrobatic trick. So that's our trick for the summer. We're going to work on head-to-head this summer because she's only going to get bigger and I'm only going to get older. So I may as well do it with her while she's eight. <laughs> it's fun. She seems to be having a good time. Um, it's What do you learn from the arts? You, you learn how to uh, collaborate. You learn how to manage your time. Uh, you learn uh, public speaking skills. And you gain confidence. And you gain physical skills. And certainly in the circus, it's strength and flexibility and, and core strength and, and, and grace and uh, comedy. So and, and bravery, and she's exhibiting all of those things um, when she can mm-hmm. because she's eight. Yeah. Um, and who knows what she's going to be? I, maybe she'll grow up and be an actuary, <laughs> and she will have a safe, you know, regular paycheck, health insurance, and she's not going to break her arm while working, mm-hmm. you know. But if she wants to do this. You know, my wife and I, we can help her out. <laughs> so, uh, people people who aren't us, they say, oh, your child's so lucky. And we say, well, we can't offer her anything else. This is all we know. So we're just going to spit at her everything we know, and then she'll choose to do with it whatever she chooses to do with it. But she's a good kid, and we're proud of her. And when she goes up and gets a laugh or has a moment that that I didn't anticipate and she does it well or she nails the timing on something uh, I'm just really proud I'm really proud of my kid because yesterday she wasn't able to do that and today she could so um, you know I'm just trying to be a good daddy more than anything Excellent. and just maybe she'll be an actuary with a donut in the file cabinet on the bottom you know <laughs> uh, I do want to talk uh, briefly about uh, casting because I know we talked a little bit about um, the you got uh, involved with the side theater in order to get a venue and, and get in you know, all you know continuous space and all that and um, but I'm curious how you go about booking your show because uh, obviously I'm sure that I mean in, throughout your years you have an eye for talent at this point but there is limitations as to availability and you know just who's around you um, so how do you normally approach uh, filling out a, a set the first show well we've only done three shows yeah. so we're still brand new right March April and May um, of 2018 uh, and you can go to uh, uh, vv. Uh, no vvphx.com vvphx.com leave out the www because uh, all you need is vvphx.com uh, to, to kind of get some photos of, of our artists and you'll see who we've had um, the first show I just asked people outright mm-hmm. I asked people who I knew uh, people who I had a, a solid relationship with I didn't want to host the first show mm-hmm. uh, because I felt that that was too much pressure on me I wanted to put my energies on other things so uh, and, and it happened and people came and, and some things went well and some things probably could have gone better uh, and I learned a lot by doing it and and as soon as I finished that first show half the people in the audience said can I be in the next show so my second show was booked immediately <laughs> my third show um 
I had a couple people email me. I, I reached out to a few people. There were people that hadn't been able to do the show yet, so I confirmed with them. Um, the next couple months, I've I've had people that have done the show before now who are interested in doing it again. Uh, I've gotten some some emailed uh, uh, just cold submissions. And if you do want to email somebody about the show, email me directly. Um, and you can find uh, brianfoley.net you'll find a, a contact page for me. Um, and I'll, I'll get back to you, and I'll, I'll get you in the bill. I, I think that um, I want it to be a good show. So it is It is a lightly curated show. Um, every month, I it's important to me that I have a student artist, somebody under the age of 18, uh, and I give that person stage time to practice their art whatever that is so i've had a contortionist i've had a singer i've had a juggler um and all of these these kids do other things too but um i want to give them a slot as an educator and as a parent that's important to me um and the audience responds really well they see somebody whose skills are developing in some cases they're amazing (laughs) you know xavier did a great juggling act uh uh, this past tuesday Uh, we opened with um uh, peyton doing Contortion, and she's a very gifted young contortionist. And the audience responded as they should have, because these kids are great, and they're kids. <laughs> you know, they're great kids. Uh, so that that's important to me. Um, uh, if if somebody writes to me, and this hasn't happened yet, that where somebody's written to me, and I'm like, uh, no, I I try and shape the show order so that. It if somebody might not be so good, it doesn't last that long, <laughs> and then we we get somebody good in there after. But most you look at vaudeville history, a lot of vaudeville acts sucked. Ninety percent of everything is garbage. Um, so if I can get a show that is sixty to seventy percent awesome, yeah. are you kidding me? How much of a theater your average theater show is sixty to seventy percent awesome? You know, um, I'm I'm capping things at eight minutes. So uh, my 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 colleague Scott in L.A. he caps at four, uh, I think four, maybe five. It might be four. And you know, other people cap at six. But you know, eight minutes is your average circus act length. Um, and people do, you know, they're getting shorter uh, now. People are doing six minutes uh, in in circus for reasons. But uh, if you want to do the show, reach out, and I'm I'm willing to have any kind of an act. Um, we've had Bollywood dance and uh, stand-up comedy, and uh, you know it's a family show, so uh, that's the bottom line. Is that's the bottom line. I mean, you can get political. I don't care which direction you get political. Um, you know, just don't say the f word and don't take all your clothes off. That's pretty much all I care about um, because I push the envelope. I mean, we did a thing with balloon animals, and I had the audience members uh, race to see who could make balloon animals. And somebody handed me something that was very, very phallic. <laughs> and uh, the audience member said, oh, that's a wiener dog. And it was wonderful. Yeah. It was a wonderful, wonderful moment. Yeah. Uh, it was a perfect, uh, perfect moment of uh, double entendre. Um how do I cast? Uh, I'm lucky to get people who are interested, and I pay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't pay my student artists. Um, they're going to get photos. They're going to get an audience. Uh, in some cases, I'll edit music for them um, because I'm pretty good at that. Uh, so I try and give them other things. But 
Your professional acts you do. My professional acts I pay. Um, and every time every time I've mentioned that to somebody, they say, oh, well, that puts you ahead of like almost every other show in Phoenix. Um, and does it cost me money to do it? Yeah. Could I have bought a new computer at this point just from those first three shows? Yeah. <laughs> I could have. Do I need a new computer? I absolutely do. But I'm contributing to the kind of arts in the valley that I want to see and I can't buy a ticket to this show because I'm in it but what I can do is I can I can pay the artists so they feel the responsibility to do a good job as opposed to just blow it off I like that I like that idea uh, that's good time to start wrapping up the last couple questions I'd like to ask uh, first and foremost is anyone else in town of any discipline um, that you would want to give some recognition to a shout out to Gosh, yes. Uh, so uh, we are uh, right around the corner from Ballet Theater of Phoenix, which is run by Jennifer Caffarella. And Jennifer Caffarella is an amazing teacher, an amazing parent, a uh, fantastic educator, and she and her team are, in my humble opinion, uh, uh, the strongest ballet-exclusive school in the area that I've that I know I've I've seen a few and I think there are like some wonderful dance teachers in town if you if you're my friend and you're a dance teacher I love you but I mean I think we all need to pay respect I mean Jen really knows what's up and she's got a good staff um and she's she's been a good friend to the Foley's yeah excellent how about for yourself any personal projects websites you want to plug you already mentioned vvphx anything else yeah vvphx.com will take you to valley variety if you just want to learn more about me i mean brianfoley.net will give you that rundown and if you want to write to me about being in the variety show i'd love to hear from you um my wife was the co-founder uh, of the bridge initiative which is bridge i-n-i-t dot org i believe it might be dot com uh, but it's bridge in it so it's short for initiative but it's bridge in it uh, uh, dot try both try dot com. i believe it's org it should be dot org uh, they are 501c3 and if this is going to air soon I, I i had a wonderful conversation with kelsey kelleher over at the Irish Cultural Center. They're doing a wonderful camp that um, meshes Irish culture and theater and dance and music and visual art. Uh, and certainly the Circus School of Arizona runs wonderful circus camps. I've been their uh, head coach there for the camps for a couple summers. Uh, I'm out of town this summer. So this is the first summer I'm not teaching there at all, but they have a wonderful roster of coaches. And Jens Larsen at uh, Phoenix Youth Circus Arts uh, also is going to be running some summer camps. And I think circus is great for kids. I think it's wonderful. And these are all later on in June, July? Or are they later on in the month? Okay. You can check out uh, check the, the websites for Phoenix Youth Circus Arts and for Circus School of Arizona. Perfect. Uh, last thing I'd like to ask, if you kind of boil it down to, to one piece of advice you'd want to give someone who's going down a similar path to what you've done, uh, what would you want to tell them? I would say two things. I would say um, uh, if you read the Steve Martin biography, Born Standing Up, he, there's a mantra in there that he repeats, which is, be so good they can't ignore you. Um, so there's that. And then the other thing I would say, and this is something that I didn't do, um, and it has a lot to do with me and my personality and the way my brain works and my social skills. But find people who are doing what you want to do and make them family. Commit to, if it's getting coffee or, or whatever it is, you know, sweeping up and taking out the garbage, you know, if they've got a space, help them manage their space. If they are 
you know, if they need copies and they're writers, you know, whatever it is, but just spend the time to become family with somebody. And I, you know, I guess I did do that in a place. And it, but, but the combination of those two things, if you are so good that you cannot be ignored by your artistic family, you'll get opportunities. Be so good you cannot be ignored by your artistic family. I love it. All right. Brian Foley, thank you so much. Tony, thank you. Have a great day. You too. Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistphx at gmail.com.